Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. Open your Bibles to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. And uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into the Word of God. The object of our faith. And I want to take some time this morning to uh, get everyone caught up um, who was not here last Sunday and uh, help us to gain an understanding uh, from the Word of God of what God would have us to know. And, and, and we're going to launch from this statement and then a passage, and then we'll go from there. Ready? Here's the statement. Faith is not in the action. And, and I think a lot of us get confused where I'm going to step out by faith because the faith is in me doing something. Faith is not in the action. It's in the object. The reason I step out by faith is because there is an object or something that I believe in that can accomplish the task that I think needs to be done, right? So, so here's the statement in full. Ready? Faith is not in the action, it is in the object. The proof of our faith is seen in the action. So, so I hope we've got our mind wrapped around that again. Ready? Let me, let, me, let me say it one more time, then we're going to read a passage. Faith is not in the action, it's in the object. The proof of our faith is seen in the action. All right, so, so here's the passage. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. Here it goes. Now, faith is the substance. Uh, let's, let's replace that word with the word assurance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Show that verse, if you would, up on the screen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Ready? It's the evidence of things not seen. So let's kind of break that passage down. Faith is um, the substance. It is the tangible, outward showing assurance of something that I believe in. Evidence, it's, it's showing forth evidence. Faith is evidence of things not seen. The proof of things not seen. So, so here's how I want to illustrate this. If I could, Reagan, uh, I do want to borrow you one more time. If you could come up here uh, to the platform. Uh, he knows what's coming. He did not before the first service. I kind of called him off guard. So Reagan, if you would, uh, stand right here. Uh, Augustine, can I borrow you as well? Augustine, Mac, can I borrow you? Do you mind if I borrow? Can I borrow you? Would you come up here really quick? Tristan, and then uh, one more, Ed Angel, can I borrow, borrow you? Reagan, you're going to need an angel for this illustration, so uh, glad that we have Ed with us today. So, uh, no, 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 you can stay down here, Ed, you're not, you're not in his spot, you're down here on the ground, you're a little bit lower than the angels, no, just kidding. And uh, so, um, so uh, Reagan, you like these guys, right? Pretty good, pretty good stout looking guys. So, so let me ask you a question. Ed, would you stand over here? And Augustine, would you stand there? And Tristan, would you stand there and face each other, face each other, face each other? All right, I want you to catch Reagan when he falls. Do you believe that these men can join arms? And do you trust that these men can catch you if you fall? Do you really believe it? Okay, so do you believe, do you believe as a congregation that he believes that these men can catch him if he were to fall forward? 
All right, let's put that believe to the test. Come here, Reagan. Guys, would you slide over here, please? Would you do that for me? All right. All right, would you lock arms? Would you lock arms? All right, Reagan, would you step in just a little bit? Probably not that much, not that much, because he's long-legged. All right, you step in that much? Do you believe these guys can catch you? Okay, now watch. Faith, faith is in the object. Faith is not in the fall. Faith is really not in the outcome, is it? Faith is in the object. What is the object right now of Reagan's faith? These, these four men that are standing here. Reagan, Reagan is um, hoping that the object of his faith will secure him in what is about to take place. Listen to me. Faith is not in the falling. The falling is proof that he what? Has faith in them. Faith is not in the falling. A lot of religions and or cults, etc., want to convince us that our faith is dependent in the action of falling. Meaning I've got to do certain things to uh, prove to God that I have faith so he accepts me. And that is wrong. My faith is in the finished work of Calvary. It is not a do religion. It is a done religion. So many religions outside of Christ cause you to do something so that he'll show you favor so that you can be elevated. But our faith is in the object that has already done the work on the cross of Calvary. It is finished. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or proof of things not seen. How in the world is this kid going to prove to you that he really does believe? It's more than just saying. It's more than just speaking. Do you believe they can hold you? Do you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt they're going to catch you? Yeah. All right, turn around. All right, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you believe they're still there? Do you believe that any one of these guys knowing what is coming would walk away and leave you all alone? <laughs> this morning it was his brother. All right, guys, you ready? Are you ready? Do you believe? You nervous? Not a bit? All right, then prove it. Whoa, okay, all right, good job. Round of applause. Round of, boy, they can't keep him up, but they got him caught. All right, so, so watch, this is so important. I don't want you to miss this. We don't do a lot of visuals, especially a lot of simplistic visuals like that. In our culture today, and what has been created within religion is this attitude that my faith is dependent upon me. And can I say, you're not equipped to carry that. You're a sinner. You're broken. Broken things should not be responsible for holding up anything. They're broken. There ought to be a caution, do not enter sign taped across your life because as a broken individual, you're not responsible for holding it up. The holding comes from something greater than yourself. You say, yeah, it comes from the church. Well, the church is an amazing thing, but the church is also full of broken People. It, it, it doesn't come from the church. It comes from the foundation in which the church is built upon, and that is the rock. The Bible says Jesus Christ. So faith, watch, is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith then becomes the evidence 
of things not seen, the proving by my resting and acting upon what I know to be right and true. And here's what I like to do this morning. I like to walk through Hebrews 11 for just a little bit and explain and define that, okay? So Hebrews chapter number 11 is where we're going to be. And let's look what the Bible says concerning this morning, our faith. Look at verse number two. For by it, by what? The substance, the assurance. For by it, the Bible says, the tangible assurance, the elders obtained their good report. All right, so um, let's look at some of the examples of people who determine that Christ is the object. Christ is the object of our faith. It is in him our assurance is done. Why? We discussed last week. Because he became the access to God through the death of his son. Quickly, let me just explain. The children of Israel had the tabernacle set up, okay? Outside the tabernacle in the Old Testament, they would set up all their tents, okay? This tribe, this tribe, this tribe, all circled around the tabernacle, Inside the tabernacle is where the sins of men were atoned for. The blood sprinkled on the altar by the high priest who would go in behind the curtain into the holiest of holies once a year to atone for the sins of God's people. Watch, when Jesus died upon the cross, here's what he said, I'm ripping this veil. No more will you have to go through the priest to get to me. There is no need for priest. No more do you have to go behind a veil to get to me. There is no need for the veil. Jesus Christ has become your veil, your high priest, by which you enter unto me. He was rent on the cross. He shed his blood. He died, rose again, now sits at the right hand of the Father to fulfill the role of the picture. When God set that system up in the Old Testament, he never intended for that system to be a part of the church. He intended for that system to be a picture of what was to come. Who was to come? Jesus. Jesus would be the one that would be the sacrifice. Jesus would be the entry point to God. Jesus would be the one by whom our sins would be forgiven. It's now all about Christ. He says, no longer will you need a priest. That order Melchizedek is done away with. It was just a picture of what is to come. I am now here. You have access to me. I am now your object. In me, you put all of your faith. Why? Why can't we put our faith all in Jesus and not in the church and not in a movement and not in a religion and not in a group? Why is our hope in Jesus? Because he died and was what? Buried and, and what? Rose again and became the fulfillment of all that was given to us prior to himself. It's all in Jesus. Now watch. In this passage, the author is going to break this understanding down. Last week, we talked about chapter 10 says he's the object. He is better than the law. He's better than the priest. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He is better, right? That's what Hebrews 1 through 10 is all about. Now Hebrews 11. Look here with me. Christ is the object. And, and so the text is going to give us some foundational witnesses 
Um, understand what the word witness means. It, it, it's, the same, it's the same word like you would in a court case, right? And you have a witness come to the stand and they said, I, I witness of this. Okay, that's, that, that's what it means. All right, so here we go. I want us to look at three foundational witnesses. Number one, the Bible says in Hebrews 11:3, through faith. What is the next word? We. Okay, in context of this book, who's the we? Now, I know that you and I could probably apply ourselves to this um, passage, okay? I, I get that. But in context of this book, who is the we? The, yes, uh, that is right. The we would be the author first. He's part of that. And who is he speaking to in the passage? Yes, the elders, but the elders specifically of who? The Hebrews, right. So he's speaking to the Hebrew people in this letter. And here's what he says. He says, and we, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So this is interesting. Please don't miss this. Foundational witness number one, God's people who had been handed the word of God down from the beginning. Here's what he's saying. We understand that God made it all. Everything, times, ages, things were made and designed by God. I had someone ask me this question recently. He asked this question, and, and it seemed like a stumper, but, it, but it's technically not. He said this. He said, do I have to believe in a six-day, or let me back up. He said, do I have to believe that God is the creator of everything in order to be saved? My answer was, yes, because if that's wrong, it's all wrong. And in this passage, I know that my faith is in Jesus Christ, but the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word became flesh, right? That's what the Bible says, referencing Jesus. And then it says, in him were all things made that were made. What, what the essence of the object of my faith is, if I'm gonna have a great faith, I've got to have confidence in the word of God. In the spoken words of God, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. I do believe somebody can come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and have salvation without ever knowing who the creator of the ends of the earth is. But there's got to be a recognition that that is right and that is truth because he's the object of my faith. Both evolution and creation requires faith. You want to know why? Because no one was there to experience it. No one can reproduce it in a lab. No one was present when it happened. But here's the important thing that I want you to see about this first example and witness here in the passage. The object, the object is in that God and his word is the creator of all that there is, and therefore in him I can have my dependence and faith in Jesus Christ. He designed everything. He's in charge of everything. He has power over all things. 
That's why the remainder of the verse is important. Notice what it says. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I can't say the universe came together by two masses colliding because who made those things? God created everything with his voice. And it's either, God, I'm going to put my faith in you as the designer and maker of everything. You're the object of my belief system, or I'm going to put it in aliens. Faith is the essence here. One or the other has to be chosen. And I think it's interesting, the first illustration that we get in this passage, the first example, the first witness, we, who by our understanding recognize that the world's Time upon end, we're framed by what? The word of God. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be seed that brings forth fruit. Let there be animals of their kind, birds of the air, fish of the sea. Let there be life. God spoke it all, and he created it from nothing. Why? Because he is everything, and that is the essence of him being the object of our faith. And then I love what he does next. Look at the next one. He says, secondly, Abel believed God and was worthy, counted God worthy. Notice the text, Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Notice what, don't miss what is being said here. The second, the second witness is the witness of Abel who by faith said this, God, I give you the best. You're worthy. The word worthy meaning you are worth my everything. You are worthy. I'm going to worship you. He is the object. Abel believed that God was worthy of his best sacrifice. Remember his older brother? What was his name? Cain. Cain also was, the Bible said, a tiller of the ground, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. Both of these boys were the first children of mankind, the sons of Adam. Both of them going to give something to God. Cain walks out among his flock and he, I mean, his uh, fields, and he picks a couple of things, sticks them in a basket, and then he sets it in front of God as a sacrifice. Watch what Abel does. Abel looks across his flock and he says, "You know what, God? You're the creator of all things. You're my creator. You are worthy of everything that I have, but you're especially worthy of the best." And he looks out among what God had designed and given and created. And he looked and he said, no, there, there's a spot on that one. I can't. No, that one's just a little too thin. Oh, man, that one over there got mangled by, by a dog. I can't give that to God. Well, maybe there's one. No, that one, a little too scrawny. There it is. And he pulls out the plumpest, fattest, thickest, unspotted, pure lamb, the best in the flock. And he takes it and he sacrifices it because God is worthy. Do you see the difference? Why did he do that? Because God was the object of what he believed. 
I believe God is worthy of my everything. I believe God is worthy of my best. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. By faith, Abel offered, look at the word, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Hey, church, God is worthy. Why? Because he's the object of our love. He's not worthy of our leftovers. He's not worthy of seconds. He's not worthy of whatever I can possibly handle to give up. He is worthy of our everything and the best of what we have. God is worthy of our life, and it is intentional. And this is the example that we see that this man, Abel, his object was God. And therefore, his sacrifice was the best of the best. Number three, notice what it says here in verse five. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him before his translation. He had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that's a verse we like to use a lot of times as um, just one verse that we pull out. We're going to look at it in context today. Here's that verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay? So, So let's look at it in context of the passage. The context is about a man named Enoch. Will you go with me to Genesis chapter number five? Let's look about uh, this, uh, just a little portion of this man's life. Enoch chapter five and verse number 23. This is crazy. Ready? And all the days of Enoch were 365 days. 365 years that Enoch lived here. Watch what happens. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So so here's the story. Enoch did not die a normal death, meaning there was never a point where Enoch's heart stopped beating. There was never a point where Enoch's lungs quit working, his brain activity ceased. Enoch literally had a relationship with God. We're going to talk about this in a minute. So rich that God said, I got to have you. And he takes him. He just takes him away. All right? He ratsherbs him out. Can you imagine preaching at a youth conference and telling teenagers, Tyler, would you just walk with God and let Enoch be the foundational passage? If you walk with God, God will just take you out of here. I don't want to walk with God. You know, it's just kind of weird. It reminds me of that. Every time I think about this story and trying to preach it to, to, to people, it reminds me of that prayer that I've mentioned before. I love it when the comedian uh, talks about the prayers that we pray with our children before we go to bed. Remember the famous one, and now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Can you imagine talking to your kid, lights out, dim, moonlight shining through, sun, let's pray. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul will take. That's kind of spooky, isn't it? I wouldn't pray that with your kids. That's kind of terrifying. Can you imagine? Good night, honey. You walk out of the room. They're laying there staring at the ceiling, waiting for God to come and take them. But that's the idea here. The idea is simply that. The idea is Enoch walked so close to God that God said, come, come be with me. Why? I don't want you to miss this. God was the object of his everything. Notice what the book of Hebrews says in explaining this. The Bible says in verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God as a worshiper must believe that he is, meaning he is everything, and that he is a rewarder of them that what? Diligently 
seek him. This is the context, and this is not a pastor taking it out of context. We're finally taking this verse and bringing it into the context. The context of this passage is Enoch. Enoch walked with God so closely, church. Now think about this. Enoch walked with God so closely. Hey, God, what do you think? Okay. Should I? All right. Can I? Okay. Hey, Lord, what do you think about this? Hey, God, what is your mind on this? Enoch, when it says he walked with God, it doesn't mean they just took a stroll through a park. It means they were communing together in fellowship, and he sought him so diligently. Hey, God, what do you think? Hey, God, I'm not going to move on this until I hear your mind. God, would you show me from your word what I ought to do? God, would you tell me? God, would you inform me? God, I want your mind. God, I'm hurting. Would you help? God, I'm seeking you. You see what I'm saying? And and I know it sounds like overkill, but it's not. What that is saying is I trust, I respect everything you say. I, I love my children and my children are not perfect and their daddy is not perfect. And therefore, this is a weak illustration to, at best. But it's amazing to me how things changed in Ryland's own life once he became a married man. Before marriage, dad knew nothing. Now that he's married, dad knows everything. Right, Mac? All the time your kid's calling you, asking you questions, aren't they? It is interesting. Here, here's what, here's, if we can put this into context... And, and I know at a certain age, they're trying to figure out life, but that's why they're in our home. It's God's put them in this home so they learn how this relationship works. So when they get out of their home, they'll know how it works individually with God. And so uh, you have a child who says, hey, dad, what do you think? Hey, dad, I'm thinking about a job. What do you think? Hey, Dad, I'm thinking about buying a car. What do you think? Hey, Dad, I'm thinking about dating this person. What do you think? Hey, Dad, can you give me an idea on what it is to be a man? Hey, Dad, what is it to have character? Hey, Dad, how do I make right decisions? And the crazy thing is, man, when my kids do that with me, I not only want to give them advice, Mac, I want to now help them through that process. There is, you know, my son came to me recently wanting to do some work on his car. And just because he asked me and the feeling that it gave me, I paid for it. Isn't that crazy? He's got his own job. He ought to pay for his own car work. But just because he came and asked and what that did in that relationship... I wanted to go another step. Hey, listen, this is why Enoch was called out so rapidly because he diligently over and over and over and over sought the mind of God. And he walked with God. Watch, you are the creator of everything. We understand that. And because of that, I give you my best by faith, believing you are everything. And since you are everything, God, direct my life, direct my thinking, direct my choices. You have me. I'm yours. God never gave that to the church 
to instruct you. God gave that to us directly from himself so that we might fellowship with him. He is the object of your faith. Isn't that beautiful, church? You were not intended to carry that. You're intended to make him the center focal point of your worship. And what would flow out of your worship was the action of your faith. They were the object. And he said, I trust the object. And he proved it to every one of us. And you know as well as I do, if he had walked off that platform without falling backwards what would it have communicated to everybody in the room? Honestly, there would have been a seed of doubt, would there not? He didn't really trust Mac. Mac doesn't look as buff as he seems to be, right? I mean, Tristan, he, he may think he can, you know, carry a great big stick, but I don't, I don't trust him to take care of me. Right? If he had walked off the platform without falling, it would have communicated to us, that's, that's the deal. Our faith is in the object and we communicate that faith through our actions. Let me give you a couple of quick examples from the same chapter. Look, go with me if you would to example number one. Verse number seven, by faith, Noah. By faith, Noah, the Bible said, feared the Lord, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Now, this word fear in the Bible doesn't mean, I'm so scared, I'm going to die, go build an ark quick. Okay, the tsunami is coming, grab a boat. Okay, that's not what he was doing. The word fear means reverence. He reverenced who God was so much. Okay, I don't get it. There's never been this big, massive amount of water that we would need to build a boat in the middle of a large piece of landmass, but you're God. And I reverence that what you're saying is right. And he goes and he builds an ark to save his whole family and anybody else that would get on board. You see, the object was who? The object was God said it was coming. The object was not um, having seen a flood before. The object was not understanding boats. The object was not, you know, knowing what drowning is like. That was not the object. The object was God said and he builds. Look, look at the second one. In verse number eight, by faith, and I'm going to couple these together, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his, Abraham's wife, Sarah, by faith, all of these, the Bible says, recognized the goodness of God and obeyed God when he said to move. So quickly, just a quick story, Abraham, the father of Israel, okay, before all of this happens, gives Abraham a promise, Abraham from you. You're going to be the father of a great nation, and through you, I'm going to show the world who I am. Before all that, he says, Abraham, get up and move to another country. And Abraham packs up all of his stuff, not knowing where he was going. He moves. He doesn't move because he got a brochure of some land available down the road. He didn't move because he was able to Google parcels of properties and see all the amenities that came with them. God said, here's the promise. I'll, I'm, all I'm going to do is give you a promise. I promise you, Abraham, that your seed is going to be more than the sands by the shore and the stars in the sky. And you're going to be my representative to the world. Go. The Bible says he packs up his whole family and he leaves. His wife, Sarah, 90 years old, has a baby. Crazy. His son Isaac, his only son Isaac, whom God said through this son, will I give you the promise. God says, take your son to the top of a mountain and sacrifice him unto me. 
Well, that was strange because God's people don't do human sacrifices. They do animal sacrifices. But God said to go, and Abraham believed God would provide a sacrifice. And so he leaves, and he takes his son to the top of that mountain with fire in hand. And he lays his son upon that altar, and he raises that knife and begins to come down, and God stops him. The angel of the Lord says, wait, Abraham, I see your faith. You do believe that I'm your everything. You do trust me. I am the object of your faith. Look in the brush over there. I've provided a lamb. Take your son off the altar. Put the lamb there. A picture of Jesus to come. We go through these stories one after another. It's the object of their faith that moved them to action. We see this even in the life of Moses. Moses' parents, I, I love this. The evil king said, kill all the babies. And Moses' mom and dad said, no, I will not listen to the king. I'm going to follow God. And they saved their son alive who became the prince of Egypt. They followed by faith. Look at Moses' life. The Bible says, I love this passage of scripture. Let me read it to you. Uh, the, the Bible says that he esteemed, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 26, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ. The word esteem means he valued the promise more than being the prince of Egypt. His faith was in the object. His faith was in that God had told Abraham and Abraham had told Isaac and Isaac had told Jacob and Jacob had told his 12 sons and his 12 sons had sent it through their sons that God was going to send a Messiah and he chose the reproach of God's people greater than becoming the king of Egypt. Church, our faith is not in the surroundings. Our faith is in the object. The object is Jesus Christ. That is why if you are part of any religion that tells you to do A, B, and C first, and then your faith is elevated, they've gotten the cart before the horse. It's wrong. Faith is not in the action. Faith is in the object. And when I have my faith set up on the object, it produces action in my life. It always does. Whether Reagan falls or not, he's going to create an action. If he falls, I have faith. If he walks off the platform, I do not have faith. Both are an action. One proves where his faith is at. Church, please. God is wanting us to have a, a faith that is centered on on him and we can we can rest in him how do we do that i want to share just a couple of things briefly and then we're going to close and these are just simple practical things that we find here in in this list of stories if you read hebrews chapter 11 it is full of individuals whose object was god and that faith produced an action whose object was God, and that faith produced an action. And from these stories, we can see what's there, and we can also see what's not there. So quickly, let's look at, I would say, five practical things really quick. Our actions, our actions are the result of our faith in the object, okay? Not in results. Church, can I encourage you? You're carrying too much. You're looking to the results. You're looking to the finished work. 
You're looking at what you can produce and you were never intended to carry that. That's why he said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Yoke up with me. Let me carry you upon my shoulders. I just want you to obey. I'm not leaving the results up to you. We live in such a result-based society. That's why when we don't get our way, we pout. When we don't get our way, we sulk because we're not getting the results that we think we should have, that we deserve. That's not faith. Faith says, God, you're in charge, and I'm going to follow the process. I'm going to simply obey. Remember Moses? Moses didn't rest in the results. He had a greater respect to God and his rewards than he did the results. Put your faith in the object. Number two, our faith is in the object, not fear. We live in a society motivated by fear. We get scared into doing something. Hey, can I encourage you right now? The world does seem like it's turned upside down and it is only going to get crazier. God's word says it will. But our faith must be in God. We cannot react out of fear. He's the object of our faith. When I look to him and follow what he says is my directive, I leave the results up to him and I'm moved by faith, not by fear. Number three. The actions, our actions are a result of the object, not pleasure. It's so deceiving. It's so deceiving. This this whole society that we live in is based upon feeling good and pleasure. And I like pleasure. I I like having a good time. How How many of you love being miserable? It is your lot in life to have nothing fun and just to sit in a mud puddle and pout and sulk. I mean, n- nobody would raise their hand and say that that's my joy. All of us would say, man, I, I enjoy pleasure. I had a great time yesterday watching March Madness basketball. How many of you are basketball fans in here? Would you hold your hand up? Do we have any? Yes, thank you. I'm glad there's some camaraderie among the people today. I love basketball, and so I watched... Uh, a game. I actually cheered for the team I hate the most yesterday, and that's crazy for me. I'm a Duke fan, so I never cheer for the Tar Heels, but the refs were so bad yesterday that I actually began cheering for the Tar Heels, and they won, and it was great. I enjoyed watching that game yesterday. I, I enjoy pleasure, but, but here's the difference. Pleasure is not the object of my faith. It doesn't dictate my steps. It doesn't have control over my decisions. I would prefer, as Moses said, I will suffer with the children of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short short time. That's what we try to communicate to our teenagers. They think that they can have what they want now, that they know what's best now, and they can grab it now, and that is going to come back to bite. What we want to help them do is is to put their focus in what is right and let the blessings of God be what produces the treasure. But the same thing is true in the parents. It it, it is mind-boggling to me what we're giving up in the 21st century in order to have pleasure. I'm willing to let that go. I don't have to go to church on Sunday. I don't have to worship God. I don't have to um, be a part of that. I don't have to give myself to him. And, And pleasure has become that motivating factor that determines my next step. It cannot be. Not if our object is Christ. We weren't created for our pleasure. We were created for his glory. 
And there's so much satisfaction in fulfilling what I was designed to do. There's pleasure in trusting Christ. Number four, number four, our actions are in the object, not in familiarity. It's amazing what we won't do or will do because we're either familiar or not familiar with that. Your faith is not in familiarity. Moses wasn't familiar with this new family group. And yet he followed. Noah wasn't familiar with floods, and yet he followed. Abraham wasn't familiar with the new land, and yet he followed. Joshua wasn't um, ready. He wasn't familiar with that battle plan, and yet he did what God said and won the victory. We all want to do what's familiar, and I'm telling you to live by faith, the object of your faith, which is Christ. Number five, we we see this here as well. Um, Our actions are the result of our faith in the object, not in ourself. These are just practical things that we see all throughout these stories. You can take this list, go back home this week and study these stories. Where's your faith? Is it in yourself? Self-motivation? Your own intellect? Your own talents and abilities? Your own skill set? Don't do it. Your faith is in the object and God can take in anybody and use them for his glory. God can take us who are simply surrendered to him and he can turn situations whithersoever he will. God is the one that can um, navigate our lives in such a manner that we don't have to put our faith and rest and trust in him. The Bible says, I will not put my confidence in man. I will not trust in chariots. I will not trust in horses. We will trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Our faith is in Christ And I hope that your faith is in Christ today. Let's close with these two passages. Number one, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful. Hold tight. He is faithful. How do I do that? Like Noah, reverence God. Like Abraham, obey. Like Moses, Turn away from what is, seems like would be the easy road and turn unto Christ. Obey, trust, rest. Why? He is faithful. Look at verse number, chapter 11, verse 39. And these all having obtained, chapter 11, verse 39, don't, don't miss this. That all that is being spoken of is all these people listed in chapter number 11. By the way, all the people in chapter number 11 are pre-Christ. You understand that, right? Pre-Jesus, okay? All these and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Who is the promise? Jesus. These people never saw Jesus. They never got to experience the Messiah They never had an opportunity to see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But look at verse 40. God having provided some better thing for who? For us. We have seen the Messiah. We know that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. We know that he's given us victory, forgiveness of sin, salvation through himself. And therefore, we have that wonderful thing, that better thing that's been given to us The faith in knowing, looking back to what Jesus has done and resting in that. We have no excuse, church. If Jesus conquered, he can conquer again. If he overcame, he can overcome again, right? We serve an amazing God, a wonderful Savior. In closing, 
Who or maybe what is the object of your life today? Who or what is the object of your life? In what is your faith? In who is your faith? So basically, it goes something like this. I need, if I could, to have a volunteer to come up on this platform, and I'm going to pick some people that you're going to fall into their arms. Anybody want to volunteer? <laughs> Rachel just poked Will. He's like, stop it. You know? Okay, so I, 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 obviously, I don't want you to come up here and do that. I, I don't want you to come up here and do that. That's not, that's not the faith that we're talking about. But I want you to stop for just a moment and examine your life. Who or what? is the object of your faith. What are you putting your hope in? What, is, what causes the actions that come forth out of your life? It's those who put their faith in God, and that faith produces action who the Bible says will receive a good report. Result. Give it a try. Give it a try your load is going to be lighter. Your burden is not going to be quite as heavy. Your joy is going to be full when you rest in Him. That's what faith is all about. So, so in closing, let's be sure the object of our faith is right. Father, we need your help. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.